Section five, keeping busy with cross-platform OOP, my introduction to the tech industry hype cycle. As part of the apps tools group, we were set up to provide tools to make it easy to build apps that worked across any platform, regardless of the differences or details of each platform. Isolating app developers from platforms was our job. The industry called this cross-platform development. Historically, such an approach was at the core of Microsoft from the beginning, simply because computing had always been heterogeneous. The makers of computer hardware customized the operating system software, which in turn meant that apps needed to be modified to run on each different computer system. This was not any sort of evil plot, as some believe, but simply something that was in place because the hard part of making a computer system was the hardware. Hardware engineers naturally chose to modify the software if it meant making the hardware easier. In Microsoft's earliest days, Paul A. and Bill G. made the basic language for many different computers. Microsoft's early apps, like the Multiplan spreadsheet, ran on many different personal computer systems at the time, a variety of 8-bit microprocessors and operating systems. Developers like John Devon and Dwayne Campbell were experts in the underlying technologies used to get Microsoft apps running on systems from DEC, Tandy, Zenith, Data General, and a host of other names from a bygone era, as well as IBM and then Hewlett-Packard, Compaq, and Dell. P-Code and the virtual machine that Doug Clunder talked so poetically about in my summer training were in part about making it easier to run software on multiple platforms. It was natural, therefore, that with Microsoft looking to grow the graphical interface apps business, while also itself building multiple operating systems, there was a need for cross-platform tools that were more sophisticated than the 8-bit character mode tools that were already in place. Microsoft needed cross-platform tools just to be able to develop its own applications for its own operating systems. Let that sink in. It was common practice in the industry at the time for every major independent software vendor to also develop their own cross-platform toolset designed to optimize for their own app and their own view of the platform landscape. Microsoft was unique in creating its own need for cross-platform tools within its own multiple operating systems. Cross-platform product development was the elusive brass ring of development that accompanied each generation when there was no clear platform winner. From mainframes to minis to the increasingly popular Unix variants to microcomputers and now the rising graphical interface. Each new platform promised to be the one to end all platforms. And it might have been until the cycle repeated. Cross-platform tools are one of those developer problems that everyone believes they have an answer to, certainly early in the software lifecycle. This did not stop even Microsoft from getting caught up in building cross-platform tools. As platforms and applications mature, cross-platform becomes increasingly difficult and the customer experience decreasingly good. Microsoft was still in the early days of cross-platform, so it was looking workable. Given the early success with basic and 8-bit character mode, it was no surprise that Bill G. thought the next generation of such work was trivial, a term he loved to toss around. The difficulty, the lack of a trivial solution, was that more and more work was shifting to the operating system away from the apps. In other words, as Microsoft, with IBM and Apple, invested more into making the operating system feature-rich, it made building cross-platform applications more difficult. In fact, that was the strategy, even if it pertained to its own operating systems. Still, the industry believed the key to making cross-platform trivial 
was a programming technique, one that wasn't too new, dating back to the 1970s Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, PARC, called Object Oriented Programming, or OOP. OOP was everywhere. A trip to the Tower Books on Northeast 8th Street in Bellevue, something I routinely did on Friday nights because it featured a deep section of programming and technology books, yielded new books every week with OO in the title. OOP promised to make programming an order of magnitude easier, another common phrase meaning 10 times better or more, but with no specific units or ability to measure. OOP was also deep in my own bones. My lab in graduate school was the Object-Oriented Systems Lab. We spent the better part of a year recreating the original OOP platform from Xerox PARC, Smalltalk 80, so we could build our own OOP projects using that as a foundation. It is where I came to believe garbage collection was an important part of programming as it was in OOP. I came to Microsoft already an OOP zealot, which in part was why I was hired, I was later told. Aside from abstract computer science concepts, the new innovation for OOP was a programming language pioneered by AT&T Labs, which, despite the breakup 10 years earlier, was still functioning and a leader in many fields of computer science research, still winning prizes and medals. C++ was the OOP version of a widely used and taught programming language, C. That meant the promise of not only making programming an order of magnitude easier, but also through its OOP techniques, making it possible to be cross-platform, all while maintaining compatibility with the industry standard C language, the language used across Microsoft at the time as well. OOP, as expressed in C++, would make not just cross-platform programming easier, but make all programming easier. Imagine that. No, really, imagine that, because that's all that could be done at the time, or ever. The buzz around OOP reached epic or comical proportions, even making its way into mainstream business press. The cover of Business Week magazine featured a baby in diapers at a keyboard and a monitor, introducing OOP to readers as a way to make computers a lot easier to use. It was no longer just a magical tool that would make cross-platform programming trivial or a technology that computer scientists believed in. It would lead to more robust and maintainable code. OOP was even going to make resulting applications easier to use. The online version includes the Business Week cover from September 1991 that seemed just insane. No one working in software thought object-oriented programming would make programming a computer so easy a baby in diapers would be typing. I hung this on my office door for years as a warning about the hype cycle in the technology industry. While many products with software can be used by infants, only a zealot would have claimed that OOP was a cause of that ease of use. Object-oriented programming and C++ represented my introduction to the hype cycle of the technology industry. In experiencing this now, I was fortunate in two ways. First, I was still early in career, so I was way more mystified than cynical. Second, I was surrounded by already seasoned managers focused on shipping, who helped our group navigate the Sonomo's fire of OOP. The industry would undergo a tectonic shift over a multi-year journey to demonstrate the utility of OOP when it comes to mass market software, especially for GUI platforms. Today, most anyone can build GUI applications, but early on, the complexity made that extremely difficult. While we couldn't make it possible for an infant in diapers to program, we could make it much easier for the typical professional or college student. The degree to which OOP or other developments contributed to making it easier will always be the subject of debate, as programming tools and languages always seem to be. There is no doubt, however, that OOP is deeply rooted in the evolution of the graphical user interface, 
going all the way back to Xerox and forward to today's smartphone. Making progress in my new job, however, had one big problem. There was no C++ for the PC. In fact, there was barely C++ at all, as it was primarily a research project at AT&T. The only tools around took C++ code and transformed it into C to then be compiled by a C compiler. Normally, one thinks of programming as typing in one language and then converting that into the raw numeric code for the computer, straight from English-like to binary numbers. C++ was so new that using it was akin to translating from German to English by translating first to French, then to German. C++ was first translated to C that Windows could understand, then finally translated into binary. Like every other Microsoft project, we were already late and behind schedule, though I didn't realize it or even internalize it. But how could I have? I had no idea what product we were supposed to be building. All I knew was we were supposed to be working on cross-platform GUI, and that meant OOP and C++. We did not, however, even have the software development tools to use the C++ language. There was a team in the languages group working on a compiler, but first they were busy releasing the latest version of C, which was late and buggy and available real soon now, nor did it include C++ support. Scott Randall cleverly decided that we needed to keep busy. I was too young and naive to understand how deliberate this strategy was, as Scott was essentially stalling while the company figured out larger strategic issues, such as Windows versus OS2 versus Macintosh, and while the languages group finished up C and can move full-time to C++ tools. We were soldiers doing battle and training, or were we the Tennessee Valley Authority digging ditches to keep busy? I had no idea. Nevertheless, Scott devised a simple master plan. We learned the ropes of getting C++ code to work by being pioneers within apps and using a crazy library of C++ code from researchers in Switzerland called ET++ and a commercial product called Glockenspiel C++. The latter was a port of AT&T C++ tools to OS2 designed to work with Microsoft's industry-leading C compiler, C version 5.1, that was already in market. ET++ was something called an application framework not unlike parts of Smalltalk 80 with which was very familiar. A framework was a collection of pre-written objects or code that helped every programmer to write applications quickly because they could reuse previously written code. ET++ 2 was a cross-platform library, but it was just a research project at a university. ET++ was presented at a paper that came out when I was in graduate school and compared itself to Mac App an application framework for Macintosh that I was also quite familiar with from my Mac Mendeleev days. It was a given that we would someday build our own application framework. Scott told me it was just too soon. The online version includes some examples and diagrams of ET++. That meant, however, there was at least a project. We spent our days trying to get ET++ to work on OS2, which basically no one else on earth was even thinking about. Days turns into weeks and months. I was glad to have a project to work on. Like so many new hires into big companies, though, I struggled to figure out how what I was doing fit into the big picture. Actually, I wasn't quite sure what the big picture was yet. 